Good morning, church. It is good to see you uh, this morning. My name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, if we have not met yet, uh, I, I would appreciate it. I know you just showed up, and I'm going to ask you for a favor. Um, if we haven't met, please, after the service, introduce yourself to me. I would love uh, to get to know you. And uh, to bring you up to speed, uh, we just finished a series on the Sermon on the Mount. During the summer, we're going to be doing a series on one of the, the epistles. And between uh, now and then, we're doing a series, a church life series. Um, last time we did this, uh, it was called Forged by Grace. And uh, this time, it's called Forged by suffering. I know it sounds like a total downer, but here's what I've, here's what I've heard, um, heard everywhere, or what I've not heard, I should say. I have not heard much preaching on suffering. The church in America does not have a good theology of suffering. In fact, it seems as if the church avoids the topic of suffering. And in 2 Corinthians is what the book that we're looking through. We're going to look at select passages. And the theme of 2 Corinthians is strength through weakness, which is totally, completely opposite of the, of the world's values. It makes no sense to the world. It is foolish to the world. And yet this is something that God's called us to because it makes a greater impact than you could ever imagine. One of the things that, that we keep saying around here over and over and over again, is that we exist uh, to glorify God as we lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. How many of you have heard us say that before? Yeah, just about everybody, including most of you who didn't raise your hands. <laughs> God has called us to lead. He's called us to have influence to be positive influence on others. And what we see in this text is the heart of a Christian leader. And some of you sitting here this morning might think, but I'm not a leader. That's like the last thing that I want to do. But the truth is, you, whether you realize it or not, you are a leader. A leader is someone who has a positive influence on someone else, and that's what God called us to do. He has called you to lead. One way or another, you do, for better or for worse. Either proactively or passively, you will have an influence on other people. Every single one of you listening to me, every one of you in these seats here, you are a leader right now, whether you think you are or not. Whether you're old or young, whether you're healthy or unhealthy, whether you're a mom, a dad, or single, you're a leader in your family, you're a leader in your school, or your circle of friends, or your neighborhood, in your job, or at your church, wherever it is, God wants to use you to lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. Now, my goal for this message this morning, for those of you who are Christians, is to encourage you and to challenge you to be a more effective Christian leader right where God has you. So, where does God have you? Where do you find yourself today? Who are the people that God has placed in your life by his sovereignty 
people that he's placed in your life deliberately? Who are the, what are the faces that come to your mind when you think about your family, when you think about your coworkers, when you think about your neighbors? Any faces come to mind? Who are they? Now, if those names or faces have come to your mind, I want you to think about how you are influencing them because you are either proactively or passively, one way or the other. Now, this morning... I want to especially challenge the men, and here's why. The women are already doing a great job with this. It's awesome. And what I've learned about men, what we like to do is we like to compartmentalize our lives, including our, our God-given purpose. And our God-given purpose has a way of getting buried under all of the stuff in our cluttered closet of our life. And then we forget about it. Now I pray that the women are encouraged, and I also pray that the men here this morning are encouraged enough to be challenged. I'm encouraged when uh, I talk to Christian men and I can tell that they want to grow. I see that there's a desire for them to be, um, you know, uh, the man that God's called them to be. I get discouraged or at least concerned for them when I see that they're not all that interested in the wisdom the Creator has given to them so they can be the man that God has called them to be. Christian men too easily settle for, for shallow, shallow counterfeits that deceive them into building shallow counterfeit lives. And as men, we get easily impressed by the wisdom of the world and ignore the wisdom of God. For those of you this morning who might not be Christians, I, I want you to know what Jesus thought about this so you get a better idea of who he is and what he's all about. So, in this text, in this letter, I want you to remember what Paul's doing here. Paul is put in a position to defend the authenticity of his leadership. He planted this new church in, in Corinth, but then God sent him away to advance the gospel in other cities. But after he leaves his church plant, these other false teachers came in with impressive-sounding words and impressive-sounding messages, who, people who look like they have their act together, people who are inspiring others to be like them. They came in and they said that Paul is not a true apostle. He said, you can tell he's not a true apostle because look how weak he is. You can tell he's weak just by looking at him. He's not an inspirational preacher. The people of his church are messed up. He obviously doesn't take sin very seriously. He can't even deliver himself from this thorn in the flesh, this affliction that he's told us about. And you can tell God is judging him. Just look at the struggles and all the trouble that he keeps getting into. So Paul says, hold on, time out. Let me explain something to you. And he says that Christian leadership is not about external qualities. It is about internal realities. 
It is not about your external qualities and how impressive you are and how well you impress others and how polished your life is. That is not Christian leadership. That falls way short. Christian leadership is about your inner reality. Now, I want you to think about the people in your life. Go back to the faces and names that came to your mind. And I want you to think about the influence that you have with them in light of this. That your influence doesn't do, have anything to do with your external qualities, but your inner reality. And here's why. Christians have messed this up back in the Bible days, and Christians are still messing this up in our day today. You just go to the books in the Christian leadership section, and almost all of them are focused on improving your external quality so you too can be an impressive leader. That's exactly what all these false teachers were into. Paul says that is not how it is in the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, leadership is primarily about your inner reality, so you better take it seriously. You better pay attention. You better chew on this and wrestle with it. And it takes some very deliberate action. You're not just going to drift and figure this out. So what in the world does this mean, your inner reality? Well, Paul breaks it down for us. He shows us four inner realities that lead to four outer evidences. Four inner realities in our heart and in our soul that lead to four uh, results or or four kinds of fruit in our life. And if you're following along, it'll help you uh, retain some of this. If you follow along with the outline in your your bulletin, the first inner reality is this, that that the leader's identity is in Christ. Now, you hear that and you're like, oh, that's the, the missing piece that I've been looking for. Well, you might not be thinking that right now, but I'm telling you it is. Let me unpack that a little bit. Back in verse 13, Paul tells us how he was feeling. He says that my spirit was not at rest. In fact, he's in turmoil. Another translation says, I had no peace of mind. So have you been there? No peace of mind? You could not rest physically, mentally, emotionally? Have you ever been filled with this anxiety and frustration and, and depression or maybe even anger? You know what? The Apostle Paul is being brutally honest here. He is stressed out um, for the Christians in Corinth and his church plant. He's stressed out and worried, uh, anxious, he says in another part of the letter, uh, for the survival of his church that he planted. It was at risk. And Paul says, I had no peace of mind. I was gripped with worry. But, verse 14, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. These aren't just interesting, uh, beautiful, compelling uh, words. This was, this, he was gripped by this reality. He's referring to uh, the spectacular parades that the Roman Empire would have uh, to honor a, a general that, that just won a, a great battle. 
and the general would ride in on his war horse and his army would march in behind him and the streets were, were packed with people. It was a, a very impressive display. They were celebrating his victory. People, peeper, peeper, their peepers, their eyes were watching the general. I tried to work that in, but it didn't work. The people were celebrating the victory. And Paul says, so I was in despair and I was anxious. And like last week, he said he felt the sentence of death was upon him. But then he remembered his identity, who he was, and the reality of it. And he says, my despair, my despair does not crush me. Because I know that God leads me in triumph. That was his reality. How in the world can he say that? Can you say that? When you're crushed and you're stressed and you're fearful about the future, he can say that because, says, because he says, God leads me in a victory parade in Christ. Now, do you know what that means? Do you know how important this is? First of all, our general, our king, has already won the greatest of all battles. Our king already triumphed over the ultimate enemy of evil in death and eternal judgment. And you share in his victory right now if you are in Christ. That right there is the Christian's identity. That right there is what defines your life and shapes your life. And the moment that you trust in King Jesus, God's spirit, here's what's mind-blowing here. The moment that you trust in King Jesus, God's spirit unites you with Jesus in such a way that all that he is and all that he has are yours in Christ right now. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you think so or, or not, whether you can grasp that or not, it doesn't change the truth. That, the more you come to grips with it, is what changes your heart. That right there is what changes your life in a way that actually matters. That is what changes your neighborhood, your city, and the world. That's why this morning we sing, you know, shout to the God of triumph. In Jesus Christ, who rules and reigns, we share in his victory. Look what Paul says later in his letter. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. So what he's saying right here is that the old ways of defining your identity are gone like how successful you are, how strong you are, how tough you are, parents looking to their children's behavior, you know, businesses looking to their salaries or profits or, or titles, ministry leaders who are, who are looking to the size of their ministries and the respect that they get or the platform they build. And as a result... If that's what you're looking to, if you're looking to your performance to feel like a whole person, a complete being, if you fail 
I should say when you fail, because we all fail, amen? When you fail, when you are weak, when you are scared, when the kids are bad, when you lose that job, when you are criticized, it devastates you because now you don't know who you are. Your identity was wrapped up in these other things. You're not reaching your goals. You're not as far along in life as you thought. Your life's not together. Your kids are little demons running around and you feel like, I, I'm nothing. I'm a horrible person. Paul says, the old is gone, the new has come. In Christ, you are a whole new person, a whole new being. In Christ, the God of the universe is your father. And the God of the universe loves you with the same love that he has for his perfect son. And let me tell you something. It is not because of anything that you have done or anything that you could ever do, but only because of what King Jesus has done for you. So now you are identified in Christ. That is the only thing that changes you in a meaningful way. And it changes everything. Because of Christ who loves you, and I've seen this a million times, because of Christ, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you remain as you are. He's the only one that can change us. I want to ask you, who is it that, that, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you preoccupied with Jesus? Are, are you meditating on his teaching and his words and his life? And what he says about the meaning of life and how salvation really happens? Or, here's the other side. Are you looking to other authors, other TED talkers, other seminar speakers as your primary source that shapes your life? Is there somebody that, that edges out, maybe even by a mile, someone that edges out King Jesus? He needs to be our primary source for understanding the kingdom of God, this world, our lives, and our purpose here. So we are reminded of our identity in Christ. If you believe this, here is the result. You will lead with both sensitivity and stability. Look at verse 12, Paul says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, a door was open for me. The people in Troas were open to the gospel. And, and then this is where he says, but my spirit was not at rest. Why? Because he wanted to know how his church family in Corinth was doing. That's why he goes to Macedonia to find Titus so Titus can fill him in. And he says in verse 13, so I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. He said goodbye. He said goodbye to the people there in Troas who believed in Jesus through his preaching. So here's Paul. He's far away from this church that he, his church family that he planted. He's filled with worry and despair for them, but it doesn't stop him from advancing the gospel. 
So he has this, this sensitivity to be deeply moved, but he also has the stability to pursue God's call on his life to advance the gospel. Normally, those two don't go together, right? Leaders who are sensitive are usually not very stable. They can be like an emotional roller coaster all over the place. And people who seem stable are not usually very sensitive. And in fact, if they are sensitive to other people, they must not be very strong leaders at all. Paul is both. How in the world can he be both? His identity is not based on his success. We do this all the time. We want to be successful in our jobs or making money or our hobbies or whatever it is. And our identity will be wrapped up in that. His identity is not based on the success or failure of his church. His identity has nothing to do with his performance as a leader. His identity is securely based on who he is in Christ. And so he can feel deeply and have strong stability. So let me ask you something. Let's evaluate your heart and lives right now, right where you are. Do you know your true identity in Christ? Are you preoccupied with that? Or are you still looking to your performance to be a whole person, to be a complete person? that will always rip you off and let you down. I, I, I want you to answer that for yourself. Are you preoccupied with your identity in Christ or are you still looking to your own performance and looking to other people that will bring the best out of you so you could perform better? Or are you looking to Christ? Second, the leader's passion is to know Christ. Paul says, and through us, God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. These victory parades that, that Paul refers to included the burning of incense. And Paul says, God uses you to advance the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. He's not talking about Bible trivia knowledge here. He's talking about knowing King Jesus personally. And to know King Jesus is to love King Jesus. And to love King Jesus is to be loyal to King Jesus. I think it's, it's, it's helpful to ask ourselves how, how we view the church. Are, are, are we united? Are we united and come together by being good? Or are we drawn to the person who makes us good? Before Paul met Jesus, he was obsessed with how you know, awesome he thought he was. And in Philippians 3, he says, in regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. I had the respect of everybody in my community and my culture. I set the standard. I had my stuff together. Everybody wanted to be like me. I gave seminars on how people could be like me. I was a Pharisee. And as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. The things I knew I should do, I did. Things I shouldn't do, I didn't do. Stuff that wasn't even in the Bible. I went above and beyond the call of duty. And if you didn't live up to his standard, he'd write you off. But then he met King Jesus. 
And suddenly, he had a strong love for Jesus. His, his eyes, his heart were, were open to the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. His, his eyes uh, were open to the realization that as good as he thought he was and as religious as he thought he was, he was headed for eternal judgment. So what good was all that impressive stuff? In the end, what good is it? It is worthless. And Paul sees that King Jesus paid for the sin of his self-righteousness on the cross, and now his heart is filled with relief. His heart is filled with gratitude. His heart is filled with humility and love and loyalty. Paul says, you know, I did all kinds of impressive crazy religious stuff that impressed loads and loads of people. People wanted to be like me, and he lists out all the different things that he thought was impressive at the time, but then he says, I count all these things but dung. And that is censored right there. That's how he feels about it. Because in the end, it is meaningless and worthless. And we cherish it. He says it's all dung compared to this passing greatness of knowing Christ. That right there is the leader's passion, the Christian passion to know Christ. So let me ask you, what is your passion? What would those who know you best say about what your passion is? Who is it in this world that you're enamored with, that you're looking to so that you have, you know, a better life and so that you can have your best life now or, or that you can have all of your stuff together? I mean, who is it? Who would people around you say it was? Is it King Jesus or is it somebody else? To the extent that you know Christ and are enamored by King Jesus, you become the fragrance of Christ. That's why we sang this morning, the sinner finds salvation, the church of Christ proclaims it, his kingdom shouts and sings it. To the extent that you know Christ and are the fragrance, you, you can tell because the result is that you will lead. And you will lead with a combination, here's the result, you'll have a combination of grace and truth. Again, those don't usually go together. The Apostle John says, Christ dwell among us full of grace and truth. Some people, they're bold on truth, but short on grace. And they're impressed with themselves, with how bold they are. And other people who want to be bold like that are like, man, look how bold he is. I want to be bold like that. But then they're short on grace. Others are lavish with grace, but they're short on truth. Here's the deal. Ultimately, truth without grace is rejected, and grace without truth is powerless. Jesus speaks the truth with all of its power, and at the same time, he's overflowing with grace and all of its power. And if you are captivated by King Jesus, if he is the one that you are looking to for ultimate meaning and purpose in life, the same thing happens to you. You will speak the truth boldly 
and never water down God's demands. But at the same time, you will be filled with grace if you know Jesus. So let me ask you something. What is the fragrance of your life? What do you smell like? Is it the fragrance of, of truth and grace or the odor of that other stuff Paul talks about? Third reality is the leader's legacy. The leader's legacy is the people of Christ. The leader's legacy is other people of Christ. Look what Paul says in chapter 3. He says, do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation? These false teachers, they show up to Corinth with, with you know, all of these letters, these impressive letters of recommendation, these, these impressive-looking uh, resumes. We don't even know who they are, but they're asking Paul, where's your letter of recommendation? And Paul says, I don't need no stinking letter of recommendation. And he turns to his church family, and in verse 2 he says, You yourselves are my letter. The only evidence you need to see that I am a true leader of Christ is you. Who you are in Christ are the only credentials that I need. Okay, that's nice, but I still want to have an impressive resume. What do you cherish more? You know what? Before Paul showed up, there was no Christian community in Corinth at all. None. But through his ministry, now there was. And he knew these people uh, personally, intimately. He was in fellowship with them. Adulterers, thieves, and drunks were his dearly beloved friends. And as the chief of sinners, as he calls himself, he was by their side as they wrestled with the gospel together to leave their past and to follow King Jesus. When he says, you yourselves are a letter, he says, you are written on our hearts, which is a way of saying that they were permanently engraved on his heart. Listen, the Christian leader, the legacy, the Christian leader's legacy is not the books that he writes. It is not the organizations that he leads. It is not the platform that he builds. The Christian's legacy is the people of Christ who have been permanently engraved on your heart. You know what, the, if you get that, you know what the result will be? The result is that we will lead with both tough love, if necessary, and a sure hope. See, Paul loves them enough to correct them. Even if it means that the people that he lovingly needs to correct will reject him. But at the same time, he has a very sure hope. Hope, despite their challenges to his authority, despite their struggle with sin, he's still confident that they belong to Christ. That's tough love and a sure hope. Again, these two usually don't go together. Sometimes uh, leaders bring tough love without hope. 
They're frustrated that a person isn't living up to their standard, and so they take out their, their frustration with harsh, correct, harsh correction. And I hear this all the time. And I hear, sometimes I overhear um, people bragging about it. Somebody, the next table, having a conversation, and somebody said, well, they said this, this, and this. And you know what I told them? I told them, yeah, well, this, that, and that, you know? They're impressed with themselves. They want to impress others with how tough they are. They take their frustration out with harsh correction. On the other hand, some leaders have hope without tough love. You know, they hope that the person will change, but they don't really love them enough to get intimately and sacrificially involved with their lives to help them build up their faith in who Jesus is and what he's done so that their hearts and lives are transformed. The Christian leader has love and hope. He knows that love covers a multitude of sins, but he also knows that love personally confronts destructive sin because you love them and you don't want them to keep hurting themselves or anybody else for that matter. And he does it with love and a sure hope that the person belongs to Jesus. So let me ask you something. Do you find it easy to confront people or do you wish that you could? Like you, you see somebody who's really good at, at confronting people. You, you, you always click on the, the clickbait that says, look and so-and-so totally destroy this conservative. Or look at so-and-so totally wreck this, this liberal or whatever. Because you're impressed with how they could just tear them down. That is so awesome. I want to be like that. It's little boy stuff. It's childish. It's foolish. It's immaturity. It's insecurity. Do you find it easy to confront people? If so, something's wrong. On the other hand, do you never confront people? If so, something's wrong. This is the Christian life, so let me ask you. How are you doing so far? Seriously. How's your inner reality? What are you preoccupied with? Who are you preoccupied with? What would the people who know you best say? Let me tell you something right now. I do not measure up, right? I can easily, I can easily define my identity by, by how well I preach or, or how well the church is going. And my mood, just ask my wife my, or my kids, my mood can reflect how I think I'm doing. Am I alone in this? And listen, I do love Jesus, but I'm not awesome at, at cultivating my relationship with him, so I'm constantly preoccupied with him as if I'm like addicted to the gospel and who Jesus is. I want to be. And God knows that I love my brothers in Christ and my, my sisters in Christ, but uh, when it comes to uh, time to confront, you know, I can be filled with impatience instead of love or fear instead of hope just like anyone else can think about your roommates that you don't get along with or your children or your spouse or whatever are you filled with impatience instead of love fear instead of hope 
Look, we're all in the same boat. Every single one of us messed this up, including and especially me. And guess what? We're in good company. Paul says in verse 6, who is sufficient for these things? And he answers that question in the next chapter, none of us. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything coming from us. He's saying, you do not have what it takes. You cannot do this yourself, and neither can I. But, he says, our sufficiency comes from God. That's the fourth inner reality, our last one. When it comes down to it, the leader's competency is the grace of Christ. Paul says, no one is competent. Not you, not me, not anyone else. No one is good enough. No one is impressive enough. Because look, you, you know what our purpose is? Let me, let me remind you of what our purpose is, of the purpose of Christian leadership or the purpose of Christian influence. It, it is to influence others so that their lives are eternally changed. Not, our, our, our leader, our Christian, the purpose of our Christian leadership is not to help you have your best life now and to clean up your life and just to get your act together. I mean, as good as that may be. We're talking about seeing people's lives changed for eternity. The life we live in this world is just like that. It's over. It's got, compared to our eternity. You can't do that, neither can I. Only God can. And that's Paul's point. Only God can do it. And here's the crazy thing. He influences other people for all eternity through you. He does it through you. <laughs> that's crazy. Paul says, it is God who leads us in a victory parade in Christ. It is God who spreads the beautiful fragrance of Christ through us. It is Christ who writes the letter, a letter written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is God who makes us competent. If you think that you can do this yourself, if you are preoccupied with striving to be impressive, then you definitely won't be. You won't be. You'll be just like the false teachers. But if you know that you can't do it and you know that you got to depend on God, then like Paul, God can and will use you <laughs> to affect people's lives for all eternity. You cannot have a larger impact than that. If you get this, here's the result. As the leader God's called you to be, you will be both weak and strong. Most people say, when I'm strong, I'm strong. And when I'm weak, I'm weak. 
And that's how the false teachers thought and how so many false teachers teach today. Leaving God out of the equation. It's all up to you. But Paul says the reality is this. When I am weak, when I don't depend on myself and I totally depend on God because I know that I'm weak, that is when I'm strong because it is God's strength at work. God's strength comes to those who know that they need him. If you don't think you need God, you'll be weak with no hope. We mess this up all the time. I want to get back to the men here. If you are going to be the leader that God's called you to be and grow in this, you need to take this seriously. The truth is, we can easily say that we believe the gospel, trust the gospel, cherish the gospel, but in reality, in the way that we function from day to day, we don't. We trust and cherish so many other things so much more than the gospel. And that's why for the men, I'm starting a gospel-driven leadership group starting the first Saturday, June 2nd. We're going to meet on Saturday mornings at 8.30 in my office each week for six months. I already have some men I've talked to, some men who've committed to it, and now I'm opening it up to any of you other guys that would like to be a part of this and take growing in the gospel-driven leadership seriously. If you can't, I'm not saying you don't take it seriously. I'm not saying that. But this is an opportunity. If you want to grow in this, I'm providing it. We're providing it here as a church. As a church, we need to make sure that we are leaning into the gospel, that we're trusting the gospel to be the power of God to see where we don't trust it and don't, don't cherish it and we'll just give it lip service, to function from the truth of the gospel. If you want to jump in on that, you sign up on the connection card and we'll, we'll give, I'll give you the details. And if you do, well, there's a commitment with it. It's going to be an hour of homework each week and you've got to show up with answers, uh, the, the articles read and the questions answered so you can participate in and then there's going to be you know, exercises for you to, to live it out. The goal is to press the gospel into the leader's heart so we can draw the gospel out into the leader's lives and those around them. So sign up if you want to join, jump in on that. I'll close with this, okay? I've shared this with you before, but I think it's helpful. For as long as I can remember, ever since I was little, my earliest memory, my dad played the guitar, and he's played for decades now. And I remember when I was a little kid, he'd let me help him play. He'd let my, my brothers and my sister and, and me just kind of strum the guitar strings all at the same time with, like, no skill what, whatsoever. We were just going like this. And then magic happened. My dad would, while we were going like this, he would skillfully change chords. And then this song would come out of the guitar. 
It was amazing. It was incredible. And we were having fun together, and we knew that our dad loved us and delighted in us and and loved being with us, and he let us be a part of what he was doing. We weren't good at it at all, but he was. And I remember being blown away that we played a part in this music that was coming out of his guitar. Now listen, when you look at the cross, and if you understand the cross, you will see that you are absolutely powerless to achieve salvation from God's judgment of sin for you and anyone else. If you behold the cross and understand it, you will realize that you are powerless to achieve true transformation of your heart and anybody else's. God says, I love you. And you need to know that the only hope for you or anyone else is King Jesus. He is the one who has done it for you. So trust in him. God is advancing that message of truth and grace throughout the world through you as you trust him and his gospel to affect lives for all eternity. Is there anything better than that? Seriously? And in our weakness, it is our Father who makes the music, and he lets you be a part of it. As you declare your need for Jesus, and you declare your need for the cross, you will have more influence on those around you than you ever realized. You will affect their eternity. Being impressive, giving a good sales pitch, having your stuff together, driving nice cars, or being successful at your hobby or art, whatever it is. That's nothing compared to having an eternal influence on somebody's life. Because when people see you totally dependent on Jesus, totally in need of him and his cross and his salvation, and then when he sees how that grace changes you, and you grow in the fruit of the Spirit, people will think, man, if Jesus can change you, he can change anyone. You you were were afraid, and you were cowardly, but now you you have courage, or you you were arrogant and full of pride, and now you you have humility. And and you, you have this loyalty to King Jesus. He's the one that you're that you're preoccupied with, and this is what it looks like? I want what you have. Jesus is the only one who can save and change you through his work on the cross and his resurrection to give you new life. That is your hope. That is your message to take to the world. That is the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. And he's given it to you to advance for his glory. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we would not be so easily distracted, that we would not be so easily impressed with the things of, of this world, 
with, with the people that supposedly have everything going for them. Forgive us for, for looking to our own performance to feel like a, a whole, complete person. God, live in that way. We know, we acknowledge that we, were, we will either be delusional or we will be destroyed. God, I pray that we would be absolutely and totally preoccupied with King Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he says, his interpretation of meaning and purpose in the world and our calling. God, I pray that, that we as a church would, would experience your strength because we are too weak and we need to depend on you. Help us to cherish what the gospel and what it does. That it changes people's lives, not just here and now, today, in this life, but for all eternity. Help us to cherish that and not be so enamored with things that are just temporary. Help us to remember that you have given us a purpose in this life, and our time in this life is just a blink of an eye compared to eternity. Help give us that perspective so that it can shape the way that we live our lives now and who we look to. And God, we, we pray that you would enable us to look to Jesus, that you would enable us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who he is and what he's done, and that you would receive all of the glory and that our lives and the lives of those that you've put in our life would be influenced for all eternity, for your glory. God, I pray if there's anybody here who's not put their faith and trust in you, that they've looked to so many other things and it felt like they've built their house upon the sand and everything has just come up short and ripped them off, God, I pray that you would give them the faith to build their lives on the rock, on Jesus, who will never leave us nor forsake us, who gives us ultimate meaning and purpose in life. God, give them faith. Give them the courage to follow you and to believe in you. We pray these things in your name.